Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. It's so good to be with you and uh, to be opening up scripture together. Um, we're going to be in, in a very, very short, small letter. Uh, First Peter, it's towards the end of our Bibles. Um, if you're not familiar with uh, where all the books are, that kind of thing, it's towards the end. Uh, if you're on a screen, you can find it yourself. Just search for it. But First Peter, um, we, we kind of started a little bit last week. Uh, Adam gave a great talk and just um, some of the verses from first, actually some of those very verses right there of, of who Jesus is and why we have life in him and have hope in him. And uh, a friend emailed me, uh, actually, I think it was Sunday afternoon, and just said, oh, I'm so excited for 1 Peter. And in his email, was saying how excited he was, but he, he mentioned it's 105 verses, uh, which is not very many. So it's a, it's a short letter. It's 105 verses, five chapters, um, and we're going to spend the next number of weeks in, in 1 Peter. And so um, it's, if you hit Revelation, you went too far. It's a, it's a little bit before then, but it's a small book, um, small letter um, written by Peter. He named it after himself. Uh, that's just what a lot of biblical authors do. And um, so that's where we're going to be. Find your way there. If, if you've got a Bible, please. Um, the other thing, I want to invite you uh, to pray with me. Um, as we open up Scripture, I want to um, just pray together and ask that God would meet us in our time uh, studying His Word together. So, so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into First Peter. God, we, uh, <laughs> we need to and we do enjoy singing those words that we just sang. Uh, there are just about every single one of us in this room that, that st- when we sing the words, there goes sin and there goes shame, it's a very real, tangible experience that we've had, uh, that we know what it's like for you to come into our lives and to begin to rid our lives of sin, to ultimately completely rid our, ourselves from the consequence, ultimately, eternally of sin, but but then to begin to work shame out of our life. And we need that and we long for it. And to be able to sing that here comes mercy and here comes grace because of you, Jesus, is, uh, is why we're here. And so as we sing those words, God, we declare that you're in this place and that you're powerful, that you're good, that you love us, and that you alone are the one that decides what love is, that you are love. And in this place, we worship you and celebrate you. And it brings joy to us to know that that our song and focus on you delights you. It's still an amazing thing to contemplate. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move and work in this time, in this moment right now, um, that you would be active in waking us up and helping us to be alert uh, and to to give you our attention. Um, And so would you work in this time right now? And Jesus, we need to hear from you. Uh, We want to and long to be conformed and transformed to become more like you in, in our everyday lives and the way that we walk into this afternoon and this week. And so would you speak to us and guide us as we look to your word? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 2 uh, is where we're going to start uh, today. And what I want to do today is uh, um, answer just a, a pretty simple but vital question uh, for this fall for us as a church. Um, and that's uh, just simply this. Why would we spend time in this 105-verse letter of, of 1 Peter? Uh, why, why would we do that? <laughs> this is, it takes a lot of time to prepare for this. It, it takes the time to, to sit here and engage and listen. It takes time to read uh, 1 Peter throughout the week. It, all of it. Why, why would we do that? Why would we focus on it? Why would we take this time and intention? And so I want to look at a few verses that, that answer that uh, for us in a, in a really significant way, uh, I believe. And, and I, it's just a couple verses. And it's First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Let's, listen to this. 
as you come to him, and in him here is, is Jesus, and again, we're picking it up a couple of verses into chapter two, so we're, we're kind of, Peter's already been writing for a little bit while, while here, but as you come to him, him is, is Jesus. So for those of us that have come to him, this we're included in that. And, I mean, obviously, First Peter's writing to a, a group of people uh, in the first century, so a long time ago. As you come to him, those of us that come to Jesus, and then it names Jesus as the living stone. There's a capital S there, the living stone. Jesus, the living stone, and we'll talk about what that means in a little bit. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, and then he describes those of us who are following Jesus. You also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So again, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in, in these verses begins to, to reveal to us, we can see, we're going to understand in just a few moments, why is it that we would focus on this letter? Why would we spend time in, in this short five chapters of, of a letter in First Peter? Uh, Peter's writing and he says, so, so to those of you that are seeking to follow Jesus, that you've, you've encountered Jesus, you have faith in Jesus, you're, you believe in Jesus, you're trying to follow him in some way, you're trying to get to know him better, you're trying to learn what it is to, to live this life walking with Jesus. Okay, for those, of, for those of us that fall into that category, whether it's just starting, just new, or it's been decades that you've been following him, wherever it is, you fall in that category, you're seeking to follow Jesus, here's, the, here's who you are. And he goes on to describe us. And he says, you're like living stones, which is... Um, that's, that's kind of an odd thing. Uh, I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe you like, I, I've always been wanting to be called a, a living stone or just, I settle for stone. That's good. It's, it's similar to rock. And that works out well for some having that nickname. And Adam mentioned last week how Peter was named by Jesus the, the rock. Um, and then somebody stole it from him in a wrestling context, you know, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of years later. And uh, um, well, that's, yeah. Anyways. So the rock's kind of cool, but living stone, I don't know, what, what does that mean, living, living stones? It's not really, it's not super clear. So he's, he's calling you your living stone. Then he goes on, he says, you're, you're a spiritual house. Okay, I'm, I'm real clear on what a house is. I've got that, I've figured that out. But a spiritual house, I'm not quite sure. That's a, kind of a different category. And so, you know, we read it and maybe you have the temptation to go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm sure I know what that means or I'll just assume or pretend like I know what that means. But I don't even know if his first readers would have, like, what is it? I don't know what this guy's writing about. A spiritual house. I'm a living stone, not super clear, and I'm being built into a spiritual house. Okay, what's going on? To be, to be, the third thing as he describes is a, is a holy priesthood. And we, we have some kind of concept. Most of us have some kind of concept of what a, a priest is. It's in, a, it's in a religious setting of some time, a religious context, and it's a, it's a kind of a, a leader person or a person who's, who's set apart, has a specific role. A, a priest is somebody who, who, who does things that others can't in that context. Specifically, a, a priest in most religious settings is a person who can connect a deity to humanity, that, that there's a, they're a mediator, they, they're a go-between, that the, the rest of the people can't directly access the deity or a god. And so there's a priest that kind of has that job description, has got that whatever training education has been appointed to that. And so they connect with the God. That's a, that's a priest. And so you're telling all of us that follow Jesus that are now a holy priesthood. And there's other places in the New Testament that, that says that exactly, that, that you're now priests. You don't need a go-between between you and God. 
And so hopefully you've heard that before if you're following Jesus, but, but that's great news. That there's, you don't need to go talk to somebody. You don't have to email somebody or, or meet with somebody in order to talk to God that there's direct access. You're, you're a priest in that sense. But a holy priesthood? What, what does that really mean? That's the third description. Okay. And then the fourth one is offering spiritual sacrifices. And so for most of us, offering sacrifices in general is, is a foreign concept. And so offering spiritual sacrifices, that's even more. What, what does that mean? But but okay, there it is. There's these, there's these four descriptions that Peter says, those of you that are following Jesus, this is you. And so I don't know if you look at this list and you go, I, I see myself in that or I don't, or I live in a house, but everything else is kind of like, I don't know on this list. Like, I, I don't know what to do with it. The Bible here in this letter, Peter is saying that if you follow Jesus, this, this is you. Now, for those that originally heard this letter read to them, who were following Jesus in the first century, a couple thousand years ago, they would have heard all of these, these terms that are included in these phrases, and they would have had a picture. Not that they would have understood it exactly, but their mind would have imagined something very, very clear. They would have pictured a temple. All of these are describing a temple. Stones are what you're used to build a temple. A, house, a spiritual house is a temple. In fact, you might be reading a different translation of the Bible, a different um, version. And mine has a little note at the bottom that says, for that spiritual house, that phrase can be, be said a, a temple of the spirit. So you get the temple that actually is in the, that, that phrase there. A, a priest, he, he puts in his hours at the temple. A priesthood needs a temple to be a, a priest. There's not a, a priest without a temple for, for most. And offering spiritual sacrifices, sacrifices happen at a temple. All this is about a temple. And, and so what's happening is that, that, that Peter is saying, describing people as, as a temple. Now, when you understand what a temple was like in the first century, this even sounds more bizarre. Like if you understand like what, what temples did, and not just, not just the temple for the people of God and the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, in the, the temple in Jerusalem that they would have been familiar with, but, but temple in general in the world over in different cultures and different peoples and different ethnicities and different religions all had temples. And what a temple was, was a building that was built in a, in a particular village or, or city to a deity. And a, and a temple is not like a church. Like today, we're, we're sitting here, and the, the primary, most consistent use of this building, of our building right here, is this on Sunday mornings. We, we all come in here and we gather. That's what it's designed for. It's built for this. Temples are completely different. Temples aren't built for people. They're, they're, I mean, there's not, there's not easy access to restrooms. There's not, you know, uh, uh, stairs that you can get in or, or escalators or elevators if you need them. No, no temple has that. That's not, that's not the design of a temple. A temple is not for people. A temple is for a deity, for a God. It's sacred space. It's a, it's a building that is for a deity. And then the people would come in and they would put idols in it. And they'd say, okay, there's, this God is in here represented by this idol. And they would carve it or make it or whatever. And they, they would put it in the temple. And they would mark it, this is it. And what that was supposed to do was it was supposed to be a, a picture, a model, an illustration of how that particular people understood reality. There was a model. It was said, this is, this is how we understand the universe. This is how we understand reality. Is it our God? Or maybe they had you know, a dozen gods in there, or maybe they had like a million of gods in there. However many they had, it was represented in that temple. They would say, this is how we understand reality. Is that our God rules this space, is over this space. And what it did is it connected the divine realm with the human realm. 
It was the touch point where those two things connected. And so the priests would go in and they would talk to or sacrifice to or interact in some way with the deity, the God, and then tell the people how things were going and relay a message. And so what that looked like, if you, if you lived and you know, oriented around that temple in that, in that city or village and you wanted something, say, uh, better crops this year than last year, um, or uh, more daughters and sons than you currently have, then what you would do is you would interact with the deity in hopes that you could help that deity give you what you wanted. You would do whatever was needed. And so if there was a sacrifice, if there was some kind of a ritual performed, and this is where things get really twisted throughout human history, when humans try to anticipate what a God would want, and this gets really messed up when it's a human-created God that they made up in their own mind or some grandfather did long ago. What is it that we think that God will want? And you go to further and further extremes, and this is where we know that such horrific abuses happen in different people groups and tribes and not just faraway lands, but far too close at times. And so offering food or performing a ritual or at the worst case scenario is taking a human life and sacrificing it because to do that is the ultimate sacrifice and the God will got to give us what we want if we do that. And you can see how that gets twisted so quickly. And yet we live in a world where we've got plenty of temples all around us right now. I mean, we don't call them that, but is essentially functioning the same way. Is that we look at the universe or our reality and we think that there's some force or power or being that can give us what we want or help us feel a different way. And so we begin to interact with it in a way that will get us what we want. It could be something as simple as... Um, if you refresh your fantasy football quicker right now, it will improve your score. Like that's a, if we do that, that will happen. I, it, will, it will just get better. If you've been to, say, a stadium in our own city, you know that that's a spiritual experience. When you go to a Timbers game, it's not just a Timbers game. That's a spiritual experience. And the things that we do in there will help our team to win. And if you've ever been a part of the Timbers army, you know that that's not, you're not just a fan in there. That's a, that's a whole different thing. That's, a, that's, like a, that's like a people group. That's like an identified community. Like, and they are willing the ball to go in the goal in a certain way and for players to be healed miraculously on the field, which happens all the time. I mean, that, it's a powerful thing that happens in the Timbers Army. We know the screens that we interact with and submit ourselves to, the way that we approach our work, and our profession. We've got temples all around us where we interact with them in hopes of getting what we want out of it to improve and to fix our lives. It's built different, it's shaped different, it smells different, but ancient temples are the same role in humanity's life and our life today as so many different things are. That's how, that's how we as humanity have worked generation after generation after generation after generation. When this was written, there was a temple in Jerusalem that dominated not just geographically, but dominated life for the people of God. It took up at one point at least about 25% of the city, if you can imagine that, and all of life oriented around it. But that temple was meant to be an answer to, but it was meant to stand in contrast to every other temple that was in every other village or place around. It was meant to be a different kind of temple. 
And yes, it's where the divine touched down into the human, or what we might say, where heaven touched down really, really close to all of humanity here on earth, where God was present in the Holy of Holies, that he promised to dwell with his people there. And it was divided by a curtain. And the, the high priest, one time of year, would pass through that. But other than that, they didn't pass through that. And the people would gather around, and yes, there were sacrifices. But all of that temple and all of, all of the experience and the way that it was built echoed back to something else because it was part of a longer story. And what it echoed back to was really the very first temple that doesn't look like a temple at all. In the first pages of Scripture, we have the God of the universe creating the universe that God creates, and then he creates humans, and he puts them in his creation, and then he joins them there. And what we have is this first temple as the garden, as creation, and God is fully present there. It's a temple because that's where God is present. And it says that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God. They were with him. They dwelled with him. They hung out with him. They talked with him. They heard him. And then they decided to go their own way. And what happened was a holy and perfect God, fully present with his people, couldn't be present with them anymore because he couldn't be around sin and evil. And so they were exited out of the garden. But God didn't leave them there. And God has been working a plan to restore his relationship with his people so that he could be fully present with them at a day yet to be come in the future. And he's been working a story since that time to restore relationship with all of humanity. And when he gave instructions to build the temple to the people of Israel, he says, I'm going to come and be with you. I'm going to be with you in this room, in this temple. But it's just to be a foretaste. It's just to be a sign. It's just to be a, a, an early indication of that I want to be with you completely. And then when Jesus came, and Jesus died on the cross, he paid the, the debt for sin, then, there, then there, the, the, all that was in between us and God has been paid for. And when we choose to follow Jesus, we don't need a priest any longer to go talk to God for us. We're, we're in the presence of God. That God is with us. Not only that, but he says he puts his Holy Spirit in us, that we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that's, some of you, you've known that for a very long time. Others of you are like, I still haven't quite wrapped my mind around that, but the, the Holy Spirit is in me and in you if you're a follower of Jesus. And so what that means in this, in this beautiful picture that happened on the day that, that Jesus died is the, is the veil was, was torn. That dividing line between humanity and God was torn because Jesus made a way. And now as we go through our days today and we walk with Jesus, there's not a, a veil, there's not a barrier in between us and God. That God is, is with us. He dwells with us. He never leaves us. He's always with us wherever we go. We actually can't outrun him. We can't flee him. We can't head fake him and get away from him and trick him. He's always with us. And that's a really, really good thing. When it comes to these descriptions and these words, that you're a living stone, that I'm a spiritual house, that we're a, a holy priesthood, that we offer spiritual sacrifices. And as Romans calls us to, it's, it's our very lives, it's our very bodies, it's our very time, it's our very energy. It's, it's us that we offer. When it gives those four descriptions, what it's saying is that you and I are temples. We're temples. And that might, that might sound really, really weird. It sounded weird to them. They're reading it for the first time or hearing it read to them. And they're like, this guy Peter's writing us a letter and he's calling me a temple. That's odd. But think back to the garden and God is fully dwelling with and present with, that his presence is fully known there. We have just a taste of it in us. We don't have to go to a building. 
We don't have to talk to a priest. That God is present with us at all times. And wherever we go, we take God's presence there. Think of it this way. As God invites us to know him more, as we walk with Jesus longer, as we become more like him, as we understand to hear his voice more, what we step into is a little bit more of the kind of life that he wants us to live. And we get just here and there tastes of what heaven is like. And then we get to take that with us wherever we go. That's what we're called to. When we're called a temple, that's what we're called. You get to take the presence of God with you wherever you go. Listen to this verse. It's the very first line from the letter of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's he just says. This is who the letter's from. Peter, an apostle of Jesus. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a leader for Jesus. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a messenger for Jesus. And then look at this. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providences of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Five places. This word right here, exiles, He's writing to, and he says, I'm writing to a bunch of exiles. And here's what he's saying to us today. Here's what we need to hear. If you follow Jesus, this is part of our title. We are, I am, you are. Together we are, we're exiles. And what that means, and there's all these different words that he uses for later in the, in the, in the, in the letter. But he says, you're foreigners. You're foreigners. Well, what, I, I'm not a foreigner. I was born and raised here. I'm not, he says, you're foreigners. You're aliens. You're from another place. You're strangers. This is strange land to you. You're not from here. You're temporary, alien, temporary residents. You're here just for a, a limited amount of time. He says you're exiles. These all means that you, you're exiles. Now, if you're born and raised here, you're like, well, I've lived in Portland my whole life. That, uh, how could I be an, an exile? How could I be a stranger here? Because you've been made new. Because you're a follower of Jesus now, You've been made new. Your identity is new. You're not just who, who you were before, or where you were born, or your story up until that point. You're completely new. You're a different person. And because not just you're a different person, but you're becoming more of a different person. You're becoming more like Jesus. And that means that you'll fit less and less here. That this will seem more and more strange to you. Some of us walk around and we wonder, man, it, I feel really torn. I, sometimes I feel like I really fit in around here and with these group of friends or in this, this place of work or in this, this part of culture of the city that we live in. And other times I feel like I don't fit in at all. And, and there's, this, there's this tension or this tearing that happens within us. We, we fit here, but I don't fit there. I used to fit there, but I don't fit there anymore. And Peter is saying, yeah, that's normal. When you become more like Jesus, you fit less and less here. And that's challenging and difficult, but it's actually what you were intended for. Because everything around here is oriented towards a different kind of temple. The way of thinking, the way of believing, the way of hoping is oriented towards a different kind of worship, a different idol, a different temple. One that where humanity interacts with it and it's an ongoing negotiation and a guessing and an anticipating and filled with anxiety of what's going to happen and I don't know what's going to happen and did I do enough or can I do enough or where do I fit in and am I loved and am I mean anything to anyone? And Jesus says there's another kind of way to live and breathe and have your being here in this existence. And it's not having to wonder about answers to all those questions because I'm going to answer all of them. 
But when you follow me, you'll feel more and more like you don't fit here. And that's a good thing, that you're in exile. Exile, the word exile would have, to us, it just looks like a vocabulary word. To the original readers, it would have indicated a whole story. It's a word that opens up a whole story. And it would have told the story of the people of Israel who at one time were unfaithful to God and God's loving discipline in their life was to allow another people, the Babylonians, to come in and to conquer them and to take away their elite, their, their kind of cream of the crop of their people off to Bab- Babylon and to try to enculturate them in another way of thinking and believing and being in their capital city. And as they did that, as they came in and conquered Jerusalem and the people of Israel, they destroyed the temple. They just, they just wiped it out. They just utterly destroyed it. And because at that point, God dwelled in the Holy of Holies in the temple, and that was all destroyed. The people of Israel, I mean, where is our God? Where did he go? And God hadn't left, and he continues to communicate through prophets. And he tells some prophets who are off in Babylon, this is how I want you to live in Babylon. Not as a forgotten people, not just as an exiled people, because you are, your address has changed. You're foreigners and strangers and aliens and temporary residents in Babylon but I want you to live fully for me there because I'm still present with you there. I want you to live and obey me because I'm still alive. And I want you to make a difference in where you are. I want you to be representatives of me here in this foreign land. And so when Peter writes and he says, you're exiled scattered to Pontius and Galatia, and we could change out all those things. We could say, those of you that who have been exiled and scattered in Portland and Gresham and Vancouver and Beaverton and Milwaukee, this, this is you. You're going to have that same feeling of being in a land that's not your own, where you don't fit in, where everything in Babylon is opposed to God. Not that it's all bad, but that it's all worshiping in a different kind of temple that's not centered on Jesus. Peter ends his letter, and he says this in verse 13 of chapter 5. She who, and when he says she, he's talking about the the gathering of believers that are with, with him, Peter. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. He's signing off at the end of the letter. And he says, she who is in Babylon. And here's the thing. He's not in Babylon. I mean, he says he's in Babylon, but he's not in Babylon. What he's saying, he's actually in Rome. And what Peter is saying is, I'm in a city that is completely opposed to Jesus. And I'm going to write it symbolically as as Babylon, because we all know what Babylon is. Babylon was a place where our people were exiled for one time. They were seeking to follow God. They were exiled in Babylon. He says, "I'm, I'm living in a city that's opposed to God. We will do well to pay close attention to these 105 verses in 1 Peter, because we're living in a similar time and place, because we're living in a culture that's opposed to Jesus. And for those of us that are seeking to know and follow Jesus, we will feel more and more like we don't fit in. And that's scary and isolating and lonely and confusing and challenging. But look at the next word after exile. Exiles who are scattered. Exiles who are scattered, and that's not accidental. The word in the original language is actually the same word for dispersion or diaspora that God actually sends out his people where he wants them and he places them there. 
And where you are, you are not there by accident. That you are in a city that's opposed to God. We're in a city that's opposed to God, but where we are in this city is not by accident. And God has actually placed you, or can we say it differently? God has placed little temples in all different places of our city so that he is present there through you and I. This isn't, God is doing this and it's not by accident. And we have this wonderful opportunity to be where God has placed us, which may be challenging and may be discouraging and may be hard and feel like we don't fit in. And yet we get to be God's presence in a whole bunch of different places. The word scattered also has a sense of seeds being sown. And it takes us back to the parable in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus is talking about sowing the seeds of who he is, his story and his truth, the news of the gospel and where it falls and where it falls on good soil, it's able to sink its roots in and flourish. And as we're scattered, we wonder where we fall. Do we fall on hard ground or do we fall on ground that's ready to receive us? And that's a great question, but I want to ask a different one. As we consider the soil that we may land in, let's first consider the soil that God's truth is landing in our own lives. And what's the soil of my heart and your heart? We as a church have set aside this year, 2019, and we've called it a jubilee year. And in the book of Leviticus, the, the idea of jubilee is explained as something that's to restore people and relationships and property, but also the land. That the land isn't to be planted for a year and harvested for a year. And scientifically, tangibly, physically, the soil rejuvenates and it changes. And we hope that that's what's happening in, in the life of our church in the life of each and every one of us that seeks to follow Jesus, that we would be rejuvenated, that the soil of our own hearts would be soft again and broken up and ready to be planted and to grow something new. Because we know that we're all in a bunch of different places and we get to be God's presence there. And may his truth and his life be forming deeper and deeper in our own lives. And would the soil of our own heart be soft enough for that to happen? That's why we need this letter. It's written to people who are in Babylon who need soft soil of their hearts. We need to hear the call to be holy because we live in a place that's very unholy. We need to understand what it means to suffer for Jesus because very, very few of us sign up for that willingly and a lot of us find ourselves in that place. We need the letter that First Peter is to us today. It's so timely for us. It's so helpful. It will guide us in what God's calling us to. I want to invite you to do this. We're going to continue to sing. And as we come to these tables, you're invited, if you know Jesus, to come to one of these tables. They're in the balcony, and there's two down here and one in the middle of the room. And we come, and we take a piece of bread that represents Christ's body broken for us, and we dip it in the juice. And as you come this morning, if I could, I'd like to invite you to come and reflect on your own heart. Are you ready for God to do something new in your life? Has your heart been hard and opposed to him? Has your heart been lazy and indifferent? Do you see where you are as a way that God can work in the place that you are in you and through you because you're a temple and God's presence goes with you wherever you go? Jesus, as we come today, we're reminded as we need to be and we long to be and we enjoy being reminded of, of your story and your sacrifice for us. And as we come and are reminded of your sacrifice and the life that you offer us, would you guide us and direct us to reflect on, on what it is that you want to do new in in us and in our hearts this fall. 
And would you help us more and more to enjoy and embrace taking you with us wherever we go and having your presence more fully fill our hearts and our minds and our lives and then going outward to those around us that you've put us near and around. Jesus, we love you and we need you and we come to your table now to reflect on on your sacrifice for us.